Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. In some countries, and in the United States, ALS is known more commonly as Lou Gehrig's disease. ALS affects the neurons and nerve cells in the body, eventually leading to muscle weakness, paralysis, and death. Descriptions of the disease can be found all the way back to 1824. But when American baseball star Lou Gehrig was diagnosed with ALS in 1938, he became the face and namesake of the disease. But there might be something about this that's not quite right. Today, some medical experts wonder if Gehrig actually had the disease named after him. This might seem like a minor issue, but the distinction matters because labels matter. And the story of Lou Gehrig may be more of a cautionary tale instead of a lamentable and unavoidable tragedy that could have happened to anyone. Knowing what actually happened to Lou Gehrig might help people. You're listening to the Midnight Library of Baseball, where there are no loud noises, no jarring music, only nostalgic, thought-provoking, emotional stories about baseball. I'm Ben Orlando. Halfway through the 1938 season, Lou Gehrig noticed something wrong with his body. He felt tired. He was slower. His muscles were becoming less responsive. He recovered for the second half of the season and finished the season with statistics that most players would only dream about. 29 home runs, a 295 batting average, 114 RBIs. But this was Lou Gehrig, second all-time for runs batted in during a season, with a lifetime batting average of 340 hitting more than 40 home runs five times. By the start of spring training the next year, his speed was down, his coordination was off, something was wrong with Lou Gehrig. According to sports reporter James Kahn, quote, I think there is something wrong with him, physically wrong, I mean. I don't know what it is, but I am satisfied that it goes far beyond his ball playing, end quote. By the end of April 1939, Gehrig was still making contact with the ball, but there was no power behind the hits. He went hitless in five of his first eight games, and the higher-ups were pressurizing the manager, Joe McCarthy, to pull Gehrig from the lineup. The problem was, Lou Gehrig had the longest consecutive game streak in baseball history. By April 30th, he was at 2,130 games without a break, which was 800 games more than the next guy, Everett Scott, who ended his run in 1925 with 1,307 games. That's a difference of seven seasons, seven years of baseball games. Let's back up for a moment and take a look at the man behind the story. Who was Lou Gehrig? If you know nothing else about baseball, you still might be familiar with Gehrig's final words at Yankee Stadium on July 4th, 1939. Today, 
I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Hearing Garrick talk, you wouldn't know that he didn't speak English the first five years of his life. He spoke German like his mother and father. Later known as the Iron Horse, Garrick had four siblings, but he was the only child to live past infancy. His father was an alcoholic and had epilepsy, so Garrick stuck close to his mother all his life. He attended Columbia University for engineering and played baseball and football for the school. He was soon recognized by scouts. Many people know that before Babe Ruth became a famous hitter, he was a great pitcher. So was Lou Gehrig. During the college games where he was discovered by Yankee scout Paul Critchell, Gehrig pitched and struck out 17 batters, which set a school record. And yet, Critchell said he wasn't impressed with Gehrig's pitching. Instead, he was blown away by Gehrig's hitting. He watched Gehrig hit several mammoth home runs, including a 450-foot shot. To give you some perspective, some of the longest home runs in baseball history are just over 500 feet. It's interesting how only now, with Shohei Otani, do people see it as possible to be both a hitter and pitcher, especially considering that in the early days of baseball, players did everything. You had pitchers pitching nine innings back-to-back. For instance, in 1924, Dazzy Vance pitched more than 300 innings and had 30 complete games. This year, 2023, Logan Webb led the league with 216 innings pitched compared to Vance's more than 300, and Sandy Alcantara led the league with three that's right, three complete games, compared to Vance's 30. Considering what was allowed, it's surprising that they didn't let Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig hit and pitch. And now, a hundred years later, with so many restrictions, we finally have a dual role player in Shohei Otani. So Gehrig's 17 strikeouts are dismissed, but his hitting is not. He signed a contract on April 30th, 1923, with the New York Yankees. And even though he excelled in the few games he played as a rookie, he was up against first baseman Wally Pipp for the starting role. And Pipp was known as a solid power hitter, leading the league several years in home runs. But power hitting in the 1910s and 1900s was not what it would become. In 1916, Pip hit 12 home runs to lead the league. In 1917, he led the league with nine. But still, he was considered a solid player, and he was the starting first baseman for the New York Yankees. Until 1925, two years later. In a slump, Wally Pip complained of a headache and pulled himself from the game. He probably had no idea that when he pulled himself from the lineup that day, he would never regain his starting position. When Lou Gehrig took over that day, he started every game for the next 14 years. On several occasions, Gehrig came close to ending his streak. 
He suffered several fractures in various parts of his body, but the fractures never kept him on the bench. On April 23, 1933, Gehrig was hit in the head from a pitch by Washington Senators pitcher Earl Whitehill. He nearly lost consciousness, but stayed in the game. Reporters said he, quote, staggered to first base via the right field boxes like a drunk on an escalator. On June 14, 1933, Gehrig was ejected from a game, but this was after he'd already had an at-bat. In a June 1934 exhibition game, Gehrig was hit in the head again. This time, he was knocked out for five minutes. He left the game but showed up the next day to do his job. On July 13, 1934, Gehrig suffered severe lower back pain and had to be carried off the field. But guess what? He showed up the next day and even had enough strength for a single before he left the game. In 1935, while playing first base, Gehrig suffered a collision with a runner and hurt his shoulder. Again, he stayed in the game. Once, when Gehrig was sick with the flu, the Yankees general manager postponed a game as a rainout, even though it did not rain a single drop and Gehrig's wife, Eleanor, tried to convince him to stop the streak at 1,999 games. You can pretend you're sick, she told him. Well, you can imagine how that went down. Gehrig was able to overcome these temporary injuries, but he could not keep fighting the fatigue and the way his muscles would not do what he told them to. He continued to struggle during the early days of the 1939 season until, finally, he decided it was enough. On May 2nd, Gehrig went to manager Joe McCarthy and pulled himself from the lineup. He sat on the bench with tears in his eyes while the Detroit fans gave him a standing ovation. Gehrig signed his contract with the Yankees on April 30th, 1923. He played his last game on April 30th, 1939. He was 35 years old. The diagnosis for Lou Gehrig was ALS, or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. But in 2010, medical researchers at Boston University thought there was a chance Gehrig did not have Lou Gehrig's disease. Well, what did he have? They thought he may have had CTE, or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, caused by repetitive brain injury with symptoms that mimicked ALS. And even if Gehrig did have ALS, research shows that athletes who suffer head injuries are more likely to develop this rare disease. In Europe, the average diagnosis age for ALS is 65 years, but one study conducted on soccer players found the average age for soccer players diagnosed with ALS at 45 years. That's a difference of 20 years. And several studies found that it's 2 to 10 times more likely to develop ALS for soccer players, 4 times higher for NFL athletes, and 38% higher in people with a history of head injury. We've already discussed several incidents where Gehrig was hit in the head by a pitcher. And this was decades before batting helmets were employed. 
Lou Gehrig and every baseball player of his day walked to the plate with a simple cloth baseball cap on his head. He also played football in high school and at Columbia University, where a leather helmet was as good as it got. For another example, in 1924, Gehrig got into a fight with Ty Cobb. Gehrig took a swing, missed, fell, and hit his head on the pavement, losing consciousness. And for all the recorded episodes of head injury with Gehrig, there are no doubt numerous examples of him colliding with players on the field, or at home plate, or getting hit by pitchers. But again, why does it matter to dwell on this? Well, let's take a look at some of the phrases used to describe Lou Gehrig and his streak. Quote, I think it's a type of courage to persevere and to keep yourself going and to never give up. Quote, Over his lengthy career, Gehrig was faced with numerous injuries and handicaps that could have sent him to the sidelines, but he courageously played through pain. Quote, Gehrig gallantly took himself out of the lineup because he could no longer will his body to perform athletic miracles. End quote. There are many articles using words like gallant, courageous, and heroic linked to Lou Gehrig's career and his efforts to keep playing no matter what. But what does this teach us about using common sense? It sets an example that says, hey, the strong thing to do is keep pushing. Whether Gehrig died from CTE or ALS, it's highly likely that his constant brain injuries coupled with a lack of proper recuperation time, either caused or hastened his disease. This message, to push on, to never give up no matter what, is still the message we see and hear all the time. There's a long-running television show called American Ninja Warrior. I really enjoy the show. However, a central focus is the courage contestants display in all kinds of ways, but especially in pushing through. No one is heralded for stopping or pausing or quitting because it's in their best short-term or long-term interests. Are they mocked or ridiculed if they stop? Not at all. But there are very different reactions from announcers for an athlete who twists his ankle and soldiers on versus an athlete who decides to stop. For that first athlete who pushes on, the reaction is enthusiasm, encouragement, heartfelt applause. And this kind of message permeates our culture. And it leads to burnout, self-attack, and depression. And sometimes it leads to disease and death. So there's the culture at the time, which still exists, but what else might have been at play for Lou Gehrig? Well, timing is amazing. Lou Gehrig was the greatest baseball player of his time, except for the man who happened to be his teammate, Babe Ruth. Throughout his career, Gehrig was constantly overshadowed. For example, in 1927, Gehrig had an unbelievable season, one of the best all-around seasons in baseball history. He batted 373 with 218 hits, 18 triples, 47 home runs, 
and at the time, a record 175 RBIs. In many years, these numbers would have been enough to award Gehrig the Triple Crown in baseball, which means you have the highest batting average, most home runs, and most runs batted in. Also, Gehrig won league MVP that year. But guess what also happened in 1927? Gehrig's teammate, Babe Ruth, broke the home run record and became the first player in history to hit 60 home runs. And we all know home runs are sexier than batting average or RBIs. And it wasn't just on the field. Gehrig was overshadowed off the field as well. He was a quiet, soft-spoken man, while Babe Ruth was larger than life. Babe Ruth was big, he was loud, he ate a lot, drank a lot, smoked a lot, slept with a lot of women, and got into a lot of fights. He was a quote-unquote manly man, and in the early part of the 20th century, it was hugely important to be a manly man. Considering all that Babe Ruth was, and all that Lou Gehrig was not, Gehrig may have focused on the one area where he could be stronger than Babe Ruth, the area of endurance. And in this area, he came out far, far ahead, but also at a great cost. In 1939, at Yankee Stadium, Lou Gehrig stood in front of a microphone and said that he was the luckiest man in the world. But Cal Ripken Jr., who broke Gehrig's consecutive game streak 56 years later, was a lot luckier. Not to take anything away from Cal Ripken Jr., a truly great ball player, but Ripken played baseball in a different time, when there were trainers, medical staff, protective batting helmets, and scientifically developed and implemented protocols for safety, injury prevention, and rehabilitation. Ripken had people looking out for him, like his father, Cal Ripken Sr., who happened to be the manager of the Baltimore Orioles for several years while Cal Ripken Jr. was on the team. In 1987, Ripken Sr. pulled Cal Ripken Jr. out of the game against the Blue Jays, ending Ripken Jr.'s consecutive inning streak. And this is another streak worth mentioning because it's one thing to play in consecutive games, but you can still sit out two, three, even eight innings and keep the game streak going. Before he was pulled, Ripken Jr. played in 8,254 consecutive innings, which was probably a record. I say probably because unlike consecutive games, there are not definitive tallies kept on inning streaks throughout baseball's history. Even so, historians believe Ripken's inning streak is 3,000 more than the next man. When asked about his decision to pull his son from the game, Ripken Sr. referred to the streak as a burden and said it had to be done sometime. Ripken Sr. recognized the dangers and downside of pushing on no matter what. He stepped in to give his son a break. Also, unlike Gehrig, Cal Ripken Jr. had some severe slumps during his consecutive game streak. 
Between 1987 and 1990, Ripken Jr. batted 252, 264, 257, and 250. In 1992, when Ripken Jr. batted just 252, fellow ballplayer Bobby Bonds said of his consecutive game streak, quote, That's idiotic. If I were his manager, he'd be out of there. End quote. But Ripken kept playing, and in 1995, he passed Lou Gehrig. In 1998, Ripken Jr. finally ended the streak, having surpassed Gehrig by 502 games. Make of this what you will, but in 1999, the season after Ripken Jr. ended his consecutive game streak, even with injuries and setbacks, and 18 years into his career, Cal Ripken Jr. finished the season with his highest ever batting average at 340. Again, after he took a break and rested, and knew that he could take a break whenever he needed it, Ripken Jr. finished the season with the best batting performance of his career. If Lou Gehrig had worn sturdy helmets, if he'd taken breaks from time to time, if he'd had informed trainers to enforce safety protocols, who knows what would have happened. That's our show. Our music is A Long Way by Sergi Pabkin at Pixabay. Good night.